0: Thank you very much, Mario and Eric. Um, and this is my disclosure slide. Um, one important thing perhaps to disclose is that the views, besides uh, the, uh, the advisory role that I have had uh, with some companies, all the views that I'm going to be presenting here I, my, are my personal views and do not have to coincide with the views of the European Society for Medical Oncology. So basically, in the mission um, of ESMO, we. As important pillars, we do not only have uh, integrating cancer care and, and, and education, of course, for our members and, 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 and also for the patients, but more importantly, uh, what we really think um, is uh, a challenge for the future, and this is uh, sustainable cancer care. Uh, it's not only uh, to promote the quality of treatment, but also to promote the, the, the access for this um, treatment, and also for cancer prevention, of course. So let's see some features um some figures where we are right now. We all know that the the burden of cancer is increasing over time especially because of the numbers of patients that are diagnosed of cancer and here you have the, the figures from 2015 but it's really predictable that in the next uh, years uh, especially until 2025 it's going to be increase an increase in the in the in the number of uh, patients with cancer. And also we know that uh uh, on top of all, all this situation, on the increase in the, in the number of uh, patients uh, that we have, it's going to be really very important, as we see right now, increase in the increase the, in the cost of the therapeutics of cancer, especially for cancer drugs. And actually, if we go in more detail to these numbers, you can see the report. Uh, this, was, this is published frequently by the EMS Institute. And basically... Um, uh, there is an increasing of the cost of cancer drugs uh, in, the, in, the, in the past years. So these are statistics uh, covering uh, a period between 2010 and 2015. And basically you can see that in the last five years, uh, the, the increase in the cost uh, of cancer drugs in the United States has been as high as 70% and in the rest of the world around 50%. Obviously, if we look at the global cost of uh, cancer, uh, the number is $107 billion uh, in 2015. And what we see is that there there is an increase of around 11%, 10%, 11% year by year. Actually, the predictions uh, do not look very well in terms of cost. Obviously, this would s- looks well for patients because patients have more opportunities, but according to the same report, the predictions of increasing the cost for the drugs are going to be mainly in the area uh, of oncology. May I, may I have access to the mouse? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyhow, um, uh, as you can see here, um, the... now. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the cost uh, basically is going to be, the increase in the cost is basically is, is going to be related in the area of oncology and immune, I- immune modulators. There are other areas that is a, a small increase, for example, in the endocrine therapeutics and also in hemostasia, but most of the cost, uh, at least the prediction in, uh, until 2020, is going to be related to oncology. And actually, if we look at the numbers year by year on how the cost increase, either for small molecules or for monoclonal antibodies, um, you can see that the, the, the increase is around uh, 8%, 10% for small molecules. You can see this in, 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 in the dark blue. And also for monoclonal antibodies, that is rapidly increasing uh, at the bottom uh, from 10% up to 17%, for example, the increase between 2015 and 2016. So the problem is there and and the worst problem has to come. So if you look at the uh, CAR-T therapies, uh, actually these are uh, treatments for very selective patients but uh, with a high potential for cure, uh, the price is uh, increasing very rapidly and uh, this is one of the um, reports that uh, analysts did about the kitchen by Gilead of the company Kite Pharma for almost $12 billion, and actually the analysts predict that when these compounds are going to be accessible for the patients, uh, the calculation of the cost for each individual patient would be around $700,000. So no doubt that the costs are increasing over time. And how this translates to uh, patients' access for these drugs? Well, the way that usually the regulatory agencies do is that they promote as, 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 as rapid as possible the regulatory approval of the drugs. But when we look at the reimbursement of these drugs in the countries, there is a big difference on that. And in this calculation, also by the IMS uh, health report, they consider whether there is full access in one particular country or uh, no full access. So it's a black and white calculation. But the point is that if you look at the drugs that have been launched in the period from 2000. 2010 and 2014, actually we are not doing very well in getting these drugs fully accessible for patients in the different countries. So you can see here, different countries, red is non fully accessed, uh, yellow is uh, fully available. And, And actually, some of the countries in the European Union but also in other areas are not doing very well. And the situation is even worse if we consider the drugs that were approved in 2014 and 2015. For example, Spain is the last one, meaning that not all the different regions have access to the drugs that have been approved by EMA, but also you can see some other countries that are in the middle and we are not performing uh, very well. Basically, the payers or the national health systems in this case are protecting themselves by by delaying the mechanism of how drugs are being reimbursed uh, for all the patients. And actually I wanted to quote here um, uh, two quotes from the past presidents of both ASCO and ESMO, basically saying that uh, health uh, is a human right and the society should favor that uh, patients have uh, equal access to optimal uh, cancer care. And this is uh, from Fortunato Giardello. But also Dan Hayes uh, mentioned that medicine doesn't, a medicine doesn't work if it does not get to the patient, which actually it's obvious. How this translate into disparities uh, in cancer control in Europe? Basically, in in Europe, we have done several surveys from ESMO in trying to look at how these disparities uh, may affect the population of patients in in, in this setting. So in this slide, in the first cartoon, you can see the incidence of cancer. Um, um, And 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 the important thing is that there is more incidence of cancer in the uh, northwestern countries. But actually, when you look at the survival, the survival is the opposite. It seems that the, the world's survival is more uh, uh, located uh, in, in eastern countries. And one of the things uh, for uh, this difference in survival is related to um, cancer or drugs access, of course. And as most mentioned, has done several surveys in order to address whether um, there, there are differences and how this difference uh, could be changed in the access for um these drugs in the in the european population so in looking for example at one uh, tumor area this is non small cell lung cancer and you can see here some of the targeted agents that we have in the clinics like erlotinib gefitinib crizotinib and some others Uh, In the Western Europe uh, countries, uh, most of them, actually these compounds are fully accessible for patients, either by free or by uh, cost paying um, of less than 25%. This is the situation in most of the the countries. But on the other side, when we look at the Eastern countries uh, in Europe, the situation is uh, very different. Red means uh, that patients have to pay full cost of the drugs. Black means that there is no access at all. So uh, the situation is really very different. Also, we have to realize that according to the cost, the total cost of uh, cancer care per person, um, uh, the cost of drugs, it's around 20%, 27% as an average in the different countries. But also, in looking at the cost of the drugs in some countries in the European Union, and also including here, Australia and New Zealand, you can see that there is a difference of the cost of the drugs that varies between 28% and 388%. So, quite remarkable the difference that uh, the, uh, the, the countries at the end, uh, the payers, uh, have to uh, pay for the drugs. So, the situation is really very tough, and for this uh, um, rational and these uh, major points that I mentioned, ESMO took several actions in order to promote and to facilitate equal access um, of cancer drugs to all cancer patients. The first thing is to create a cancer medicines working group and this was created in 2015. I had the privilege to um, chair uh, this uh, working group at the beginning and and we focus in two particular areas. The first one is the essential medicines, those that are not more innovative but are essential for uh, treating patients with cancer. And you can see here that actually there are several problems related to these drugs, especially shortage of drugs, growing disparities in access uh, within the European uh, countries and beyond. Obviously, we are uh, tackling this problem in a worldwide uh, level and what we did here is to address the problem and to uh, have real statements in a collaboration with the Economist Intelligence Unit and we developed a report addressing this uh, uh, medicine shortage uh, in Europe. And actually, we were able to uh, to, uh, launch uh, this report at the European Parliament and this was really uh, very important because the the participating countries took in consideration this and they uh, came um, with this important problem into the agenda of the respective countries. This was number one, at a glance. Also, we have done a working group in what we call expensive and more innovative uh, cancer medicines, and and as in here, we all know that all these new drugs that are some of them very active for patients are not available um, in all the in all the different countries, and in here we have done. Several actions. One of them is to collaborate with other stakeholders uh, because it is important that we raise that this is a, a worldwide problem. So we have collaborated with WHO in the fair and the fair pricing forum, also with ASCO, with the American Society, in order to build uh, joint symposiums, just to address the problem of access to cancer medicines, but also uh, in other areas that I will mention be, uh, later on. So basically, which is the problem? Uh, Just an example that is not uh, related to the gastrointestinal tumors, melanoma. Melanoma patients actually did very poorly when we only have drugs like cisplatin or the carbacin. But the cost of treating a patient with the carbacin was around $2,000 on a yearly basis. When we had these exciting drugs like nivolumab, epilumumab, pembrolizumab and others, if we take the cost of treating one patient in the United States, this is data from the United States, with nivolumab and ipilimumab for uh, 12 uh, months, actually the cost increased up to $300,000 um, uh, uh, for patient, right? And more and more, our systems uh, in a worldwide basis are considering which is the real value of um, in implementing these drugs. Of course, in melanoma, this is very clear, right? But at the end of the day, we have to address which is the individual value Uh, to treat one patient with one treatment or another. And our systems and our societies have to take this problem in consideration. For example, at ESMO we are working with a tool um, and a position paper that could uh, facilitate the discussion between the pharma companies and the payers in the different areas of the world. Because we as a professional society are in the, in the, in the, in the center of the problem and actually we had quite independent uh, way of seeing that and we could promote this kind of dialogue. For example, if we look at one particular drug in one particular tumor, we could calculate the value of that drug um, in a referral country like for example Germany or Switzerland, the one that we decide And and this is going to be obviously based on the GDP of the country, also on on the percentage of health uh, cost uh, of the GDP, and also, and as we mentioned before, uh, after, um, on the consideration of the magnitude of clinical benefit scale and, of course, the frequency of the disease. And when we want to translate this to another country or another region, we could easily consider which could be the range for the discussion uh, in considering also the regional or the country parameters according to the GDP, again, the percentage of GDP in health expenditures, but also in considering the the frequency of the disease. Obviously, this is going to be a tool that could facilitate this dialogue. It's not that ESMO is going to be considering um, specific discussions for specific drugs in the regions, but at least having these kind of tools that at the end would promote this seminal concert that is the geographical-adapted value-based reimbursement. So reimbursement adapted to the value and to the geographical parameters of the different, um, economical parameters of the different geographical regions. regions. The other point is to uh, promote uh, a value-based characterization of the drugs that are approved by the regulatory agencies. And in here, uh, ESMO promoted the magnitude of clinical benefit scale uh, by the committee with the same name. And in here, we are not alone. As you know, other important stakeholders like ASCO, Sloan, Kettering, Abacus, and NCCN, among others, have also contributed to the field. The bottom line here, at least for the magnitude of clinical benefit scale, is that we want to grade the activity, the efficacy, and the safety of the drugs according to these parameters and try to rank the drugs with the different approvals um, um, in, in a classification that can be easily managed and used by patients, by physicians, by payers, by national health societies, of course. We don't consider the cost because the cost, as I showed you before, has strong, uh, tremendous variation between the different countries and regions. But this is something, obviously, that, that, that has to be considered in a different uh, table, perhaps with a, with a value-based uh, reimbursement uh, tool that I mentioned to you before. Tomorrow you are going to have a session where Genevieve Douillard, the, C- the ESMO CMO, is going to address the magnitude of clinical benefit scale, and you may be familiar with that, but basically we are categorizing the drugs in the curative setting uh, from A, B, C, A is the maximum level, and in the non-curative setting from 5 to 1, and 5 and 4 are the maximum um, uh, ranking for drugs in particular approvals. So, this is also an example that I took not related to GI, uh, and in this way, actually, we can comment uh, easily on that. If you look at the different drugs that have been regulatory approved by the European uh, Medicines Agency, uh, and on the right side, you will see the scoring, and you can see that the scoring varies from one to five, so there are drugs in particular settings that work very well. This is a five or a four. And then you have other drugs that uh, the activity is not as, as high, and, and they are one or two. If we look at the drugs that have been approved by EMA uh, since 2016, actually, you can see that there is a wide distribution of the ranking of these drugs from one to five. And there are very few, actually, with five, and, uh, four and five. But when we look at the cost of these drugs on a monthly basis, actually the cost is very similar. Uh, you can see this is, uh, has been done by ESMO on the right side with the ESMO classification and also uh, by ASCO with the value framework um, in the left side. And the, the bottom line here is that the cost of the drugs in a monthly basis is quite constant. I mean, probably because uh, the cost or the price of the drugs has been mandated by the market, rather than by the real value of the drug uh, in each setting. So what else can we do uh, from ESMO, uh, besides promoting this uh, value-based uh, reimbursement? The second thing is to promote, as much as possible, academical clinical cancer research. And we have to realize that, more, that uh, most of the uh, break, uh, therapeutic breakthroughs in the last years uh, came initially from academia. And also that 65% of the clinical trials globally are are supported completely or in part by the health systems, the government funds, the universities, and other research organizations. So we should also consider and to put this in value. Because uh, actually at the time that the, the acts are approved, perhaps we should think a little bit more on how public fundings and academic institutions contributed to the development of that particular drug that may be really very relevant for patients. So what we did at ESMO in collaboration with the EORTC and the European Association for Cancer Research is to promote a dialogue about how important is academic research in our, in our environment. And for that, we created the Clinical Academic Cancer Research Forum called CAREFOR, in trying to address important topics to promote and to secure as much as possible academic um, um, research. And, and in here uh, we address how important is this um, this kind of research also involves all the key actors, all the stakeholders that uh, could promote um, um, uh, fostering this research. Also how to lobby at the European institutions um, in order to safeguard and foster this uh, research. And also to have a voice on the implementation on the European Union clinical trials and data protection regulations. This has been um, uh, nicely uh, posted and stated in, a, in an ESMO open article that I encourage you to read. And we addressed several important questions about the sponsorship from academic uh, um, uh, clinical trials in order at the end to foster as much as possible this academic research that uh, is really very independent. Also, another point of... Um, of navigation in this, uh, in this field is to discuss about the, the Me Too or the too many drugs that are, uh, very similar. Also looking at the, at, at a report published by Tito Fojo, uh, several years ago, four years ago actually, in looking at the, at the, and the biggest pharma companies and how the cancer therapies that they have in the pipeline could be identified according to the mechanism of action and whether this mechanism of action was overlapping or not overlapping uh, between the different companies. Actually, you can see that the reds are Overlapping mechanisms, or even overlapping targets, and only the yellows are non-overlapping, um, um, non-overlapping mechanisms of action. So this is something to consider in mind. Because if we foster and we promote many mitos, I'm not saying that there have not to be mitos, but if we promote many, many, actually we are hampering other areas that are essential for clinical research, and this is also something that is uh, very important. Also the advent of biosimilars. We consider biosimilars as an opportunity actually to reduce the cost of some drugs in order to promote the innovation in other areas. So uh, what we can reduce of the budget, is going to be implemented in other areas, no doubt of that. And and actually ESMO has promoted an intense uh, discussion of uh, biosimilars with all the stakeholders and we published this paper um, in ESMO Open 2017 that basically represents the opinion of the society. And and here we have to recognize that EMA and also right now FDA have done uh, a very good work in order to promote the quality of biosimilars in, in in the way that they are approved. This uh, manuscript, of course, has been uh, highly cited and downloaded, uh, and we are really very happy about that. But it's also important to discuss with all the stakeholders, especially the, the physicians, the prescribing physicians and the patients, important aspects about switching and how we are going to use these uh, biosimilars in considering also extrapolation uh, rules for um, 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 administering uh, these compounds when the clinical development has been done only in one particular area. But what we all know is that biosimilars that are approved by FDA or EMA uh, have a very good process of preclinical development, clinical development, and um, under, under regulatory um, submission, of course. But more and more, we'll have to discuss all these aspects, and especially think about that automatic switching uh, should should not be an option, basically because we have to inform our patients about the reality of the biosimilars, but also we have to do um, an important monitoring of the patient just to look at potential immunogenicity related adverse events. But this is something that we have to discuss more and more. And ESMO has been promoting this in the the past years, not only um, in the regular meetings uh, with colloquia and forums on biosimilars, with all the stakeholders, of course, but also at the the European level in trying to have um, stakeholder events with the European Commission and also with the working party of the European uh, Medicines Agency. Finally, the last point is that more and more professional societies like ours should be involved uh, in the discussions with policymakers. And actually, I think that more and more we should empower the societies the professional societies and ourselves to lead, in part, this discussion. Because, as mentioned, we are in the middle of the problem with the patient. So we have pharma companies, we have organizations, we have national cancer plans, and we have the payers, among other stakeholders. And we have to try to do our best with the budgets that we have in order to promote that patients receive the better access. And uh, tools like the um, value-based reimbursement model or the magnitude of clinical benefit scale developed by ESMO may foster this kind of discussion in a very open way. So, this is a, this is a problem that all we have. We have considered that it's a an universal problem. And again, as many stakeholders we have in the discussion from the early beginning, we have more chances to succeed. So, my final slide, is a summary slide, I just wanted to demonstrate you that ESMO is doing several actions at the level of ensuring, uh, Cancer care access—not only medicines, uh, but uh, in part for medicines—with the magnitude of clinical benefit scale, with the, can, uh, the cancer medicines committees that we have for the essential medicines and also the expensive innovative medicines, and also our position on biosimilars. Where, where's the nets? Um, this is a sentence that uh, Usain Bolt, that was, as you know, was a, a, fa- a famous sprinter for Japan. From Jamaica, sorry, uh, said uh, some years ago, uh, he doesn't think, uh, he didn't think on limits. Actually, we shouldn't do as well. So we think to do all together. I want to give credit to the many people at ESMO in the different committees and working groups have collaborated um, in all these discussions and promoting these tools and these papers. Here you are, you have mentioned the members of the different committees, the Public Policy Steering Committee, led by Paolo Casali. The Magnitude of Clinical Benefit Committee right now, led by Elizabeth Devries, as well as the Cancer Medicines Committee. Also, the leadership at ESMO with the presidents, the CEO and the CMO, that prompted this kind of dialogue far back in 2013, and this was really very important. The ESMO staff uh, that collaborates in this. Also, uh, the other stakeholders that have collaborated in this uh, nice uh, trip on doing um, uh, these important uh, products and also from my local institution, Amanda Wren. Thank you very much.